as you grow as a founder and as you grow as a CEO, you, you do start to develop that confidence. Mm -hmm. And after a certain point, you know, kind of start forgetting like, oh, I'm supposed to feel less than because I'm a woman. It gets better. I, I kind of want people to hear that, you know. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Women in AI podcast, lovingly called Women Splaining AI. I'm Liz Eshi, and I'm here with CEO of Seek AI, Sarah Naji. Sarah actually started Seek in 2021 with the mission of Seek What Matters. And I did, Sarah, find a quote on your website that said, Seek What Matters means focus on the work that challenges you and can move the needle most within your organization. So I'd love if we could start with talking about the the journey of Seek, where it where it began and where it is today. Yeah, so thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I can just give brief, you know, background about myself and it kind of leads into how I ended up starting Seek. So, you know, my background, I actually started out in the astrophysics world. I was looking at galaxies that were captured by the Hubble Space Telescope, some of the oldest galaxies that were known to exist, doing research at UCLA and Caltech. But you know, I got kind of interested in quantitative finance just because I had always actually been pretty interested in finance as well. So it was kind of a perfect fit. And so I ended up working at a trading firm for a while, doing algorithmic trading. Then I kind of went on to lead data teams at a couple of startups. Um, you know, startups have always been something I've been interested in. So those were great opportunities. And then I kind of pivoted from more of like a quantitative analyst type role to more of a data science role. And then towards the end of my career, I was at Citadel leading a data team. So that was basically my background. And I kind of just noticed the same kind of thing would happen over and over, just no matter where I worked. Basically, like the reason I got into quantitative finance and then data science was, you know, I wanted to be kind of looking at the data and hopefully just find some insights from the data where I could, in the case of being at a hedge fund or a trading firm, maybe say like, hey, I noticed these things. Let's put a trade on. Maybe make some money or save some money for a customer. I just couldn't get to all of those projects. Like I, I couldn't really do as much research as I wanted to be doing because I had to just help pretty much everyone in the business. People that just didn't know anything about data mm -hmm. and would kind of just come up to me throughout the day and just be like, Hey, Sarah, I need this data for whatever reason. And I would just have to stop what I was doing, write a bunch of very manual code, oftentimes SQL code, and just kind of like pull them the data. And I was just kind of always finding myself being like, why do I have to be the one to do this? Like, yes, mm -hmm. I'm the one that has access to the data, but why does that mean I have to do this? And, and just thinking like, don't they have tools that can help them do this? But it's just none of the tools were sophisticated enough, basically. Right. So I tried automating these things just in different ways, you know, nothing really necessarily worked out well. And around 2019, actually, that's when I first saw large language models. I saw GPT-2 kind of like, oh, that's 
kind of an interesting toy, but, you know, didn't think mm-hmm. that much of it. Then I saw GPT-3 in 2020. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, GPT-3 is so much better than GPT-2. For the first time, I actually saw it write SQL code. I saw it write Python code. And I was just like, wow, this is actually sophisticated enough to really do this kind of work that I don't want to be doing. So in 2021, that's when I started Seek. Mm -hmm. Seek's mission is to be a natural language interface that anyone in a business can use to just ask it questions and get data that they need much faster. So they can ask more questions or get data in time, make a decision that they may not be able to make without a, a, a platform like Seek and having to ask the data team instead and wait like a week or two weeks or, you know, one of our customers told us it took them two years to answer a question. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love this, this whole concept because when I first read your mission and started hearing about your experience, I'd, I'd seen you do interviews before I thought to myself, oh, so she made a platform so that people would leave her alone so that she could get things done. And I heavily related to that. I'm I'm not as deep into data. I work as a marketer, my full-time gig, and I'm often finding data, but I'm also the one asking for data so that I can make marketing decisions. And I completely relate to the need to want to do deeper work, but you end up getting stuck in these kind of find this, do that, analyze this. And I would love if there were more solutions that allowed people to leave me alone a little bit more. And I imagine there's a lot of folks, I think quant is is a title you refer to yourself as I was a quant, which is something I hadn't heard except for in, in movies when they're like, oh, this is my quant. So I love yeah. that it exists. <laughs> One of my favorite movies, Big Short. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you knew it. Okay. <laughs> I just watched it again over the weekend and I was like, ah, this is, she's a quant. I know exactly what this is now. <laughs> I appreciate that you, that you saw that, you saw the problem, you create a solution in your current workplace and then you took it and turned it into a full-time business. How did that leap happen? How did you go from, oh, this is just a tool that I'm working on that I'm playing around with to, I actually think we can take this, bring it to market. It's a solution that fits more than just our business. What was that process like? It was definitely really, you know, a process I remember for a long time. I mean, it's just thinking back to the beginning of like, even deciding to quit my job. Mm -hmm. Like I had a very cushy job at Citadel. And it was like a dream of, you know, when I was doing like my master in finance degree, Citadel was like my dream company. It's like, it's the best hedge fund in the world. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like in my dream job, dream company. And so just kind of making the decision to quit and start my own company was very, to be honest, anxiety inducing in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they call it the golden handcuffs for a reason. And I think many folks, if if they don't already work in tech, might be working in stable jobs. And so the thought of entrepreneurship is is a loss of income and for how long. And I don't think, I don't know that answer. Maybe you have a better idea of that answer. What's a reasonable amount of time 
to put into this? What kind of, like, how much buffer do you need? Where do you even begin? I mean, those are questions for a different podcast, but it had to have been a pretty large decision. Yeah, it was a, a huge decision. Uh, I don't really hear it get talked about a lot with other entrepreneurs, but I'm sure that every startup founder probably felt this way if they were leaving a, a job. You know, I kind of copied my friend that did this when she was changing just, you know, careers. I ended up taking a poll of some of my closest friends and family, just mm -hmm. telling them, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about this decision? And to be honest, I think the majority of them said, don't do it. <laughs> so I didn't really like, <laughs> oh, this is not <laughs> I, I thought you were going the other direction with that. <laughs> So yeah, I just decided not to use that poll. You know, I didn't really actually take take it make a decision like based on that. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I guess it didn't really matter to me. You know, I ended up just being like, you know, this is something I want to do. But yeah, I had to like kind of downgrade my whole lifestyle. Like moved into a much smaller apartment. Like mm -hmm. all this different stuff. And it was really definitely kind of slow in the beginning. I was doing a lot of research on large language models. This was the middle of 2021 during the peak of the one of the crypto hype, hype cycles. Right. So I definitely felt like I was going against the grain. Like I didn't mm -hmm. see a lot of people doing this and it just felt just so uncool because <laughs> all the cool people I knew were working on crypto. Right. Um, to be honest, I, I definitely kind of miss that feeling. I kind of liked being under the radar, just feeling like I had a lot of time to be able to just research this thing that I was so passionate about. But one thing I did notice very early on, just experimenting with these LLMs, was the hallucination problems. Like, I okay. encountered that almost immediately. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, if a model hallucinates some code, not going to work right so i i very early on like even just building the initial prototype of seek i decided to put in kind of these guardrails to prevent against the hallucinations mm -hmm. and then you know six months later after we had just raised our first round of funding that was one of the first things we did was apply for a patent for that workflow for these guardrails mm -hmm. so now looking back i'm glad we did that because you know, that's something that pretty much anyone who works with these models is kind of familiar with. Right, right. And for those who aren't familiar with hallucinations, just the kind of the short version, it's the the LLM spitting out misinformation, wrong information. I think that's the shortest way to say it. Yeah, I think it's a great description. Just, mm -hmm. a, just a side note, people can also hallucinate. Like yesterday at a dinner, like someone asked me a question. And I just blurted out, you know, just the answer. I kind of thought it might be wrong. I just like blurted it out off the top of my head. And then I was wrong. And I was like, oh, you know, I just hallucinated too. Well, that's like all the studies they do with memory where you feel so confident in your memories, but they are, they're not really based in 100% truth. They're heavily altered by perception. So it's a great analogy where you think you remember something and you're pretty sure he was wearing a red hat and you could say like 99% he was wearing a red hat and he wasn't wearing a red hat. Well, the point of guardrails is to ensure that you get rid of the hallucinations. It's really important with 
a product that has access to your data warehouse, that data is so valuable. So the two kind of top priorities for Seek is security and get good data to the non-technical users because they may not know if it's good or not, but they're going to be making important business decisions off of it. So, you know, on the security side, we're, we actually recently achieved SOC 2 Type 2 compliance. So mm-hmm. that was another thing that's really important to us. But on the other side of just getting good data back to the business users, basically with Seek, you can trust that the data you're getting back is correct data. And that's okay. the purpose of guardrails. Great. And I think one thing that, honestly, I wasn't fully aware of, and and maybe you're pointing out here, is I was under the impression as a non-technical person that works in AI that hallucinations were due to the LLMs being trained on wrong information. But it sounds like they can hallucinate even if the information is correct. They're just interpreting it in the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, that's a really, really smart way to describe it. It's definitely not just being trained on, you know, bad data. It's also the, you know, I hate to say intelligence, like our head of AI hates it when I, you know, anthropomorphize LLMs. But, you know, it's like just colloquially, like how intelligent is the model? So it, it may, you know, they're they're not quite intelligent enough to approximate a human. Mm-hmm. And that is another source of, of the hallucinations. Okay. Speaking of intelligent humans, one thing I was curious about is, is obviously if Seek is super ex- successful, which I think that it will be because I'm definitely someone that wants more data and access to data and wish I didn't have to nag our data team for it. How do you envision the role of the data scientists changing? So does their work become less? Does their work become deeper? What does that look like in 10 years? If, if everyone's using Seek, what is the data scientist doing? I think it's kind of like what you said in the beginning. I Not every researcher is like this, but for me, like I just wanted to be left alone. That's like big part of why I became a client actually mm-hmm. and not an investment banker or that's why I like kind of gravitated towards research you know in the astrophysics world and now you're in I, I just, so <laughs> you're never going to be left alone again <laughs> well I guess that's kind of like another topic of conversation but I I just had to take that you know, there's always pros and cons to everything. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I by nature, am more of a researcher personality. But I was like, you know, it's important to me that I be the CEO of this company. That's, that mm-hmm. was my idea. Yeah. Not, you know, not any other role. But I did know, like, okay, I'm going to have to, like, develop a totally almost, like, new personality. Like, I'm going to have to make myself be an extrovert. So <laughs> how's that, how's it kind of works. <laughs> you're here so it must be going okay (laughs) yeah you know I'm kind of like getting by on in in that respect but yeah I wasn't always this way you know I was like kind of kind of just wanted to be left alone the less meetings the better Mm -hmm. and that's I think that could hopefully a lot of people that get into data analytics or data science 
they come from STEM backgrounds. And often they have advanced degrees like master in data science or STEM degrees. And so they kind of expect that they'll be solving really interesting problems, maybe spending four or five hours just thinking. Yeah. And I think just giving a lot of these professionals just that time back to do to do that is I know it was really important to me. So you know, I think it's kind of just taking work off of their plate that the vast majority of them really don't want to be doing. I saw the status on like a Reddit thread or something that there's a certain type of person that's like, I love the the smell of sequel in the morning or something. <laughs> okay. I'm just like, there's like exceptions like that, but we only come across that type of person kind of once every blue moon. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're building... You became a CEO to build a product where everyone can be left alone to do deep thinking. You know, AI is emerging with more radical, innovative technology every day. And you are unfortunately no longer uncool. You're in the cool kid crowd with AI. There's I hate it. (laughs) Well, I love it for you because I, I think we need more people like you. But you, now that you're in the cool kid crowd and also you're in this movement, how are you as a founder in AI keeping up with this kind of near constant evolution of generative AI every day? And especially working in an AI team, is it distracting? How do you, do you see new things emerge and then say, oh, we have to integrate that in our product or are you better at prioritizing? What does that look and feel like and how do you keep your team focused? It's a really good question. It's really challenging to keep mm-hmm. track of everything coming out. I do think that something that's always been part of my personality is signing up for newsletters. And I used to read Hacker News every single day. So now, you know, I, I, I still get a lot of newsletters and those mm-hmm. help me a lot to just you know, just kind of skim through and see like, what, what are people doing? A lot Mm -hmm. of it is somewhat repetitive, like the different genres of what people are building. So it's not like there are like fundamental shifts happening every day. Mm -hmm. But I think just like kind of, kind of getting pushed, like all the new things that are happening every day and being able to skim through it. And I think I have a good enough kind of radar that if something looks kind of very novel, I'll, I'll kind of dig more into it for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like I was just out here in SF for the first time in maybe a couple months. And I was a little like, okay, you know, this is the Bayes Valley. Like, what are, am I going to, when I talk to the people, you know, around this environment, am I going to feel behind the curve? Because we're based mm-hmm. in New York, which is still, I would say it's probably the second kind of most active epicenter for generative AI. But SF is definitely, you know, super active. But, you know, talking with people, I was actually like, you know, I, I actually can keep up with these people. I even knew some things that maybe they didn't know. And I was like, okay, that's pretty impressive considering, like, I don't necessarily go out of my way to do deep research every week. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I think that system is kind of working to kind of, kind of pushing content to me to just spend, you know, a little bit of time every day. Kind of looking mm-hmm. into it to your other question about 
how do I keep the team focused? That is such a challenge, I think, for anyone in this business. Yeah. I had to learn a lot this year about how to keep the team focused. And I would say these are a couple things that worked for me. Mm -hmm. The first thing is have a good head of product. It took me a while to kind of learn what exactly a head of product is because mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, the world I came from, it wasn't like the CTO could have done a lot of similar work as head of product in financial right. services or fintech. In this world, it's essential because if you're kind of like a product CEO like me, you have a lot of ideas, you need a buffer between you and the engineering team. Right. And I think the head of product works really well in that role. So prioritizing. that's definitely one thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Head of product, newsletters. Also, I think picking, you know, what people call like a North Star mm -hmm. for the product, for the company, and also uh, different metrics you want to hit as a business. And asking yourself, is this feature going to help us get to this three-month milestone six-month milestone or mm -hmm. is this just something i saw a competitor do that right. got them like 50k twitter views or something or i'm sorry x views now so. right right it's okay it, it will always be twitter that's my personal stance but <laughs> as a marketer it will always be twitter i i find that interesting i've also subscribed to a lot of newsletters and i find them i find a lot of them really redundant this is not to call out any publication. I, I won't list the ones that I find redundant, but I feel like they're all feeding off of better sources and then just kind of regurgitating the same information. So are there a couple that you really like that you think are able to kind of summarize everything? Maybe they're not the, the origin point, but are able to stay on top of news without just spinning the same content over and over? Well, I am not getting at all paid to say this, but I do think that Ben's Bites is kind of like the go-to newsletter for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. There's this other one called The Neuron that yeah. I think has pretty good information. There's a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoy The Neuron. I do like Superhuman. I think that's got a big list. That's another one that I feel like is on, on top of it as well. And then I do have to ask, we talked about head of product, keeping you in line, making sure that you're you're not adding things on just because you had a great idea. If you weren't using AI to democratize data, make it more accessible to the non-technical group, have you had ideas about what other areas you would use AI? I'm, I'm sure you have a couple, at least a couple a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think, I mean, honestly, there are some things that it's just, you would think they've been solved by now, but they haven't. Look, Superhuman, the email app, Rahul, if you're listening, I don't want to call you out, but the spam filter for my main inbox is not working. <laughs> and I don't know how, I don't know what to do about it. So like, honestly, just fixing like a spam filter Mm -hmm. is something that would go a long way. I actually think adding more AI capabilities to email. I mean, if anybody knows of some, like a great 
email app or just like superhuman features that I don't know about, um, just just email me. <laughs> Please. <laughs> would honestly make my life so much easier. <laughs> email is probably the most awful thing that was ever created and exists. Okay, I understand its purpose. Followed very closely by Slack because now you're really never left alone to do your work. It's you're just like constantly getting pinged. But email, I can't, I have no great way to organize it. I feel like it becomes a secondary task list, which is an awful place to have a secondary task list. So I, I hear you on email. If I were someone that said, oh, I see this, this problem that everyone's having and I think AI can help fix it, do you think I need to be super technical in order to pursue that? Do you think being a product CEO is super important in AI or do you feel like there's other there's other avenues you just have to go find that partner? It's it's such an interesting question cuz this is like the dream of AI in like in some ways is kind of I think the latter of the different things you described like allowing someone who's not technical in any way to have an idea and mm-hmm. be able to build it without necessarily finding someone that has the certain skill set that might be required to actually build it. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's why I think it's, a, it's an interesting question. In reality, I think what I would suggest if you're not technical and you have an idea like this, is you can get such a long way with Figma that that's kind of a learning that I learned, you know, from starting Seek is Mm -hmm. you can get such a long way from just building a prototype with Figma. So if you can learn Figma, you can from the, or if you can learn like Squarespace to just put, you know, make a landing page for whatever the idea is and then look at, the signups coming in, that could be an indicator mm-hmm. if someone wants something. Or if you learn Figma, you can put it in front of prospective customers if you're building a B2B SaaS app. Mm-hmm. And that's enough to kind of get you started validating the idea. Just speaking from my own experience, I had to do this process of validating my idea before I could raise any funding. And I was a solo founder those first six months. And I only brought on other coworkers after I raised the, the funding. So if you're not technical and you did that, then you could bring on, you know, someone that can actually help you build this thing. I, it's not necessarily the path for everyone. I think there are a lot of people that might disagree with me there, but yeah, that's, that's just my experience. So there's still hope for me. <laughs> no, and put in any other any other women out there who should go found things should take ideas and bring them to life because we need more female founders, period. So please send your idea to Sarah. She might give you some tips, especially if it's about email. <laughs> I really appreciate your time and I know you're super busy. So I don't want to take up too more too much more of it, but if you have any parting words of advice for women looking to break into AI, obviously sign up for the Neuron and some other newsletters, but anything that you think will help people kind of transition 
into this this AI world because I, I think it will be everywhere. I, yeah, I think when it comes to, uh, to the topic of advice for women, I would say just talking from my experience, the good news is oh, there's a lot of people out there that want to help women, like break into AI. Yeah. So I think that's some, I mean, at least speaking from my own experience, I, when I was raising my pre-seed, I had a seed, a seed stage fund kind of give me a small check because they, they liked that I was a woman mm -hmm. and non-binary founder. And so I think that, that that's just an example, you know, even, even podcasts like this, or I was at a different panel for, you know, female founders over mm -hmm. the weekend. I, these are all positive things that, you know, if you're, if you're a woman, like you can look forward to these things. So it's not all bad. Just speaking from my experience, I've heard horror story after horror story of like, you know, oh, someone went into a VC meeting and the, you know, the GP asked her to like pour him some coffee, you know, just, mm -hmm. just weird stuff yeah. like that. I mean, to be honest, from my experience, I have not experienced a lot of that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I would say like, don't let those horror stories lower your self-esteem. You know, I would say from my own experience, the biggest struggle that I had was more just like the general patriarchy getting into my subconscious. Not to get all, you know, whatever, but psychologically, I had to overcome a lot of this brainwashing that I experienced for many decades of my life, causing me to feel, you know, inferior or whatever. As you grow as a founder and as you grow as a CEO, you, you do start to develop that confidence. Mm -hmm. And after a certain point, you know, you kind of start forgetting like, oh, I'm supposed to feel less than because I'm a woman, you know? So it, it just, it gets better. I, I kind of want people to, to hear that, you know? That's, that's really interesting. And I think a lot of, there's obviously still a lot of work to be done in the outside world, et cetera, but internal work is just as important. And, you know, women tend to take less risks. We tend to not apply for that job that's out of our reach, things like that. I mean, that's been statistically shown over and over. And I think it is because like you mentioned, it's the the brainwashing, the feeling of less than that you have to actively, actively get rid of, as as you mentioned. And I, I think the further up you get, the more you'll realize that no one knows what they're doing. Like I've expected to be grilled by these super experienced, predominantly men about marketing plans, about go-to-market strategy. And no one knows, like no one, you know, they, they, it's surprising how far men can let themselves get just because they have a, a little bit more confidence ingrained in them. So we need to say, kind of screw it. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to do the thing. It's fine. No one else knows what they're doing either. Yeah. I hear other women sometimes say when I'm in a predominantly male environment, I get intimidated. And it makes me really sad to hear that because I'm like, men are people too. They're not gods. Yeah. You know, they're, most of them are probably less intelligent than you. 
So don't don't be afraid of them. They're more afraid of you than you are. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Statistically, if you're the only woman in the room, they are probably <laughs> lesser than, and you've worked a little harder. Uh, so be confident. <laughs> That is that is great. Great advice. I really appreciate you taking the time. For those who are interested in pursuing SEEK, can they check out the website? Is it available for everyone? What's the what's the kind of status there? Yeah, our website is very simple. It's just seek.ai, S-E-E-K dot AI. Uh, if you go on there, if you're interested in trying out the product, if you or uh, someone making decisions off of data, whether you're a data person or non-tactical, mm-hmm. you can sign up for the product. Or you can also find me on LinkedIn. Please send me a, a DM, especially if you're a founder. I'm happy to help with things like investor intros or can give some advice. So those are the di- different ways I can be helpful. I should probably plug my X slash Twitter. It's just Sarah R. Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right. We'll follow Sarah on Twitter and we will see you all again very (laughs) soon. Thank you, Sarah, so much for your time. Thank you so much, Liz. This is great. 